Leviticus chapter 17. This is really all about blood, isn't it? And it's been observed by the Jewish rabbis, and I think it's, it's true, that to understand the meaning of the blood in the law of Moses is to understand the meaning of life. And of course, we're here uh, taking the, the symbol of the blood of Jesus, drinking his blood uh, in, at the, the breaking of bread, which was, of course, to the, the Jewish mind, absolutely uh, disgusting and revolting. The idea that the Lord Jesus took a cup of wine and said, look, this represents my blood, I want you to drink it. Everything within them cried out against doing something like that. And what I want to suggest is that for us to drink this cup properly, as we should, is also extremely difficult to do it properly. Now, throughout this chapter, it is really emphasized that if you drink blood, then you will be killed, or you will be cut off from the people. Uh, you, you will basically lose your life if you drink blood. This is really uh, emphasized, isn't it, throughout the chapter, uh, verse 10, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. How that worked out, I don't know, whether God uh, smote people down dead or whether simply in God's book of reckoning that that person was out, uh, I don't know. I suspect it was the latter. Um, but he, he really emphasizes it, doesn't he? Uh, verse uh, 14, whoever eats it shall be cut off because the life of all flesh is its blood. Now, why is there this huge emphasis? I don't think that it's talking here about kosher food, that you must uh, squeeze all the blood out of any bit of meat that you eat. I, I don't think that is in view, and I don't think that that is uh, taught really anywhere in the Old Testament. That is, a, uh, I think, a, a Judaistic perversion of, of the law. The idea was that if you kill an animal, you must pour out its blood and cover it with dust and you must do that and then you can eat the animal that was the idea that you must in some ritual sense pour out this this blood why this emphasis and why this apparently extremely strict attitude i mean there was all kind of criminal things that could be uh, performed within the community of israel and yet there were uh, there's a system of sacrifice, there's a system of getting right again with God. But here, this particular issue is taken uh, and is given a very, very strong punishment. Now, why? Well, he emphasizes, doesn't he, that the, the blood represented the life. Why then must it be that any uh, killing of any animal must be it must have this ritual of pouring out blood uh, onto the earth uh, first, on the pain of you losing your life, losing your life, your, your blood as it were. Well, I think it's to emphasize the principle that all life, be it human life or be it animal life, belongs to God. And it is absolutely crucial that we must give our lives to God. That is what it is teaching. And when he, he says there that, uh, verse 13, it must be poured out and covered with dust, you, you think of a number of the uh, teachings in the New Testament about life, that we have died and our life is hid with Christ in God. Uh, so uh, Colossians says, the idea 
is that if you will not give your life to God, then you forfeit your life. And that principle is there right at the beginning of the Bible in the idea that whoever uh, shed man's blood, then he also had to have his blood shed uh, because of what he had done. In other words, if you're not going to give your life, and if you're not going to recognize the principle that my life is not mine but it is God's, then you shall lose your life. And so you have the great paradox, which is developed in Romans 6, talking about baptism, etc., uh, that the only way to ultimately keep life, the only way to live, is to give that life up to God. And stamped right across every part of human life, every bit of food that was eaten or meat that was eaten, there had to be this recognition that I give my life and I recognize that uh, all life that there is, is not mine, but it is God's. And it is not for me to just take uh, a bit of my life and just on the quiet to uh, use it for myself, to, to kill this animal in the field uh, and, uh, well, not offer it to God, but uh, just eat it anyway. Or if an animal uh, has died naturally or has been killed by another animal, you can just pick it up and eat it. You have got to pour out that blood all the same. This actually has radical meaning for us because we want to give our lives to God, but the question is how? The problem is that the sort of culture, religious culture that we live in features going to meetings uh, and showing some sort of uh, commitment to our God and uh, our religion uh, in terms of what we publicly do. And the problem is that we can very easily think that I have given my life to God because I've gone through the ritual of baptism and because I uh, spend a certain number of hours in the week involved with my church, uh, so I've given my life to God. And you know what, I even read the Bible uh, most days for a bit, uh, 20 minutes or whatever, uh, so I've given my life to God. And, well, of course, I've got to take it easy, so I relax and I do the things that everybody else does, etc. But, no, I've given my life to God. That, that is not giving life to God. Isolating a few hours of your week in total, saying that, yeah, but that was spent on Bible reading and going to meeting, therefore this is a life given to God. That may be so in the eyes of you know, the religious world and even our fellow brothers and sisters, but... God is asking us for our life, not just a few hours of it. He's asking for our whole life. And this is a great freedom, really, when you start to realize that I am not free, that my life is not just for me to use as I wish. It is not mine. I have died in baptism, and I'm just living the life of God, and my life I am living totally for him. The problem is that we have uh, families, we have kids, partners, we have careers, we have to support ourselves, we have to live in this world. And so it can be that we think, well, I am serving God through um, all those things. I'm serving God through my career, through my working, through the life that I'm living. And of course that is true, it can be true. But the danger is that certainly visually, visibly, uh, there is no particular difference between you and me and the guy who lives next to us, who has 
no religion or who has no relationship with God at all. Visibly and externally, we drive the same kind of cars, we um, wear the same kind of clothes, we spend roughly the same amount of our income on food and, and whatever, just like the, the guy next door does. That's the problem. And we think, but how can it be any other way? I would love to be able to just go to the, the door of the tabernacle and say, look, here I am, uh, take me, um, that's it. Uh, yeah, you'll take my physical life, we'll take it. Uh, but that is not how life works out for the vast majority of us. We have to live just like anybody else does. The question, uh, or the issue is, of course, that we are to live unto God. The most extreme cases, I suppose, of this were the slaves who were converted in the first century. They did not have any freedom uh, to do anything. They had to work 24-7, basically, for their masters, and that was it. They didn't have free time, very much of it. They didn't have the, the freedom of decision in, in many, many ways in life. What could they do? And Paul says a very wonderful thing when he says that whatever you do, do it to the Lord, and not unto man. And he, he enables us, therefore, to do all that we do in this world, in our physical existence, etc., as service to God. So that this principle of giving the blood, giving up our life and having this stamped all over us that in matters great and small I am giving myself to God and my life is not mine but his and I am serving him 24-7 uh, that is possible because God has graciously accepted that we can do all this that the world does uh, in, in our human physical life, we can do that for God but, of course, what Paul does go on to say in the context of those slaves and 1 Corinthians, if you may be made free, well, choose it rather. Don't just glory in, in the curse of, you know, serving, working in the sweat of your face just to, just to keep, keep yourself alive. If you can be made free from all this, well, choose it. And we have within the Brotherhood some wonderful examples of people who have done that, people who could have been without question millionaires, famous scientists, who could, in this world, have done amazing, amazingly successful things, but they chose not to. They didn't go up the, the ladder of promotion at work. They didn't uh, use their natural acumen to, to make fortunes, uh, etc., because they were busy serving some little ecclesia of five or six cranky old ladies or, or whatever it was uh, that they spent their lives doing. And that was a pouring out of their blood uh, to, to the Lord. And so life is not ours, it is God's. That is, as I say, a wonderfully... Uh, freeing way of looking at, at our whole existence that in that sense I am free I'm dead from, from this life in which I live that that is just the motions I'm going through in one sense in this world but I'm doing it for God however we've got to really make sure that we consciously are aware of that 
that we keep on reminding ourselves that this is for him and I'm not just living like everybody else does sort of drifting through life sort of half consciously uh, following the natural desire to build up stability and uh, career and stable income etc but whatever I'm doing I am doing this for him I am pouring out my life for him and not for myself We've got to be careful in this, very much so, because it's a, it's a difficult position. And, and so often one can encounter a situation where someone has uh, blessed themselves in this world very well with a lovely house, car, career, etc. And they say, oh, it's, it all means nothing to me. Uh, it's all for God. Uh, it's all for people. Well, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's pretty convenient uh, to reason like that. And I am not you know, saying that I have not fallen into that uh, trap either. Uh, I have, and we, I believe we all have, uh, to be honest about it. So I'm not pointing fingers at anyone apart from myself. Uh, and uh, you yourself can point, I'm, I'm afraid, the, the fingers at yourself as well. That we can all fall into this trap of thinking, well, I'm doing this for people. It's not for myself. It means nothing to me. Well it clearly does mean something uh, for us and we've just got to be so careful but stamped as I say right through human life is this principle that goes right back here to the law of Moses that life is not mine but it is his and all the time I am giving it to him now unless we're going to live like that then in the end we shall lose our lives um, just like these people here, if they uh, drunk the blood, if they, they took the blood to themselves, then they were going to lose their, uh, their life. Uh, verse 4, blood shall be imputed to that man. What they were to do was to bring consciously um, the animals that they killed in, in verse 3, a bull or a lamb or a goat, they were to bring it, verse 4, to the door of the tent of meeting and of course the Lord Jesus John 10 verse 9 says I am the door and John's gospel being so full of allusion back to the tabernacle and mosaic ritual it's inevitable that we are intended to uh, see that door as being the Lord Jesus so when Paul says whatever you do in this world do it to the Lord I think this is the uh, putting in so many words of the maybe more oblique teaching that we have back here in Leviticus 17 that whatever animal you kill or, or whatever you are to bring it to the door you are to bring it to to Christ whatever you do do it to the Lord Jesus he is your Lord and Master and of course in the first century context for, for slaves who were struggling to obey their worldly masters this would have been an incredible uh, incredible concept that actually I have another master sure I have to work 24-7 for this uh, this guy or this woman who is telling me to do this that and the other but actually unknown to you I have another master I've got another wonderful Lord master uh, in heaven and I am his slave so if you feel trapped in in life caught up in uh, having to be a slave as it were to career to, to just surviving in this in this world well that is how it is but do it unto him and realize that all that service is actually to him and that he is your Lord 
and not as it might seem in the eyes of this world that you have one master and that is your mortgage, your bank, your um, your debts, your employer, uh, your business or whatever it might be. But ultimately you have another lord and master. I'd like to just point out that in verse 8 and a couple of times here uh, and throughout the law of Moses uh, quite often it's said that uh, this regulation is also to be for the strangers who live as foreigners among you. As far as we can, those who are within the orbit of our families and our, our life, maybe employees or fellow workers or people under us in the workplace or whatever it might be, as far as we can, we are to try to get them to live according to the same principles that we are, are called to, to live by. Now, I have said that we are going to drink the blood of, of Jesus. And this takes us to verse 11 again, for it is the blood that makes atonement by reason of the life. I think what he's saying is that... Um, Your life is not yours, and the life of the animals that you kill to live uh, live by is also not yours. You're to pour it out um, to represent this great principle that life is God's and, and not my own. Um, and he says, because it is the blood that makes atonement. Well, it is not our blood that makes atonement. It is the blood of the Lord Jesus. I mean, you just reading that phrase again, it is the blood that makes atonement by reason of the life. When you just look at those terms, blood, atonement, and life, I mean, this is very much Paul's, uh, Paul's war cry, his battle cry uh, in the spiritual life in the New Testament, that we are saved by his life, by the life of Jesus. And whose blood makes atonement? The blood of Jesus. Not your blood, not my blood. What profit is there in my blood? the psalmist says. Uh, it is the blood that makes atonement. And I think that that is uh, intentionally there uh, a, a prophecy, really, of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his blood that makes atonement. And it is his blood, it is his life, which we can drink and take to ourselves, and in fact we must do, so that his life becomes our life. And all the time, when they were living out this principle that, oh no, just wait a minute, I, I've got to pour out this blood um, because it's, uh, it's not our life, it's, it's, it's God's, they were to be taken somewhere beyond that principle that all life is God's. But there was one particular life, the life of Messiah, the blood of the Lord Jesus, that was and is God's, that would make atonement for for them, for, for their souls, for for their life. It is the blood that makes atonement by reason of the life. Well, the life is ultimately the spotless life of, of the Lord Jesus. 